0: At the Football Overview today, Solskjaer's wait for a trophy continues with Emery's Villarreal coming out on top. The managerial merry-go-round this summer, which could include Pochettino to Spurs. Lille pit PSG to their first title in 10 years. Leicester miss out on top four. Atletico come out on the 4. The end of the show quiz. Plus, our top five strikers since Aguero's move to Manchester City. That's your round of this week at the Football Overview. Hello and welcome to the Football Overview. Today, I'm joined by Johan Aslett.
1: Thanks for having me, Dil.
0: And we're also joined by Jack Knight. Great to have you back, Jack. How are you doing?
2: Very well, thanks. Good to be back, Dylan. Thanks for having me.
0: So we'll jump straight into our moments of the week because there's loads to get through. Joes, what was your moment of the week?
1: Okay, so I selected Lille's 2-1 victory over Angers. The victory ultimately meant they claimed the title. It was a miraculous accomplishment and something I don't think anybody could have foreseen of, at the start of the season. So, you know, it's just a brilliant end to such an unpredictable season of football.
0: Yeah, it was a fantastic moment that, wasn't it? Leo winning the league-earned title, just pipping PSG by just one point. Jack, what was your moment of the week?
2: So I'm going to go with, not, not the game yesterday, because the game yesterday was a bit caging, a bit tight, but the penalty shootout at the end of yesterday's Europa League final was one of the most incredible penalty shootouts I've ever watched in my life. Not, not, not even to get to the fact that the, the goalkeepers were the ones that decided the, the trophy, but the 20-odd penalties before that, most of them were some of the best penalties I've ever seen in the biggest, one of the biggest circumstances that you can take a penalty in. And they were being slotted in left, right and centre. Like, there was nobody's business. It was really incredible to watch. Even Villarreal's goalkeeper put it top wins. Yeah. It was absolutely ridiculous. So, that's my moment of the week. I really did enjoy watching that penalty shootout. Penalty shootouts are great when you're the neutral fan.
0: Yeah, and it also helps when you're a Liverpool fan, doesn't it? And obviously Manchester United <laughs> lose to Villarreal. But yeah, what a moment that was, that Europa League final yesterday and we're actually going to start with that today and Solskjaer pre-match said that a Europa League victory could be the stepping stone to a bright future so how concerning is it for Man United that in their final match of the season in Solskjaer's own words post-match didn't turn up for what would have been their first trophy in four years.
2: It makes me think what more is there to turn up for? Man United have won trophies consistently over the last 20-30 years and um, it's a cup final it just makes me think that Oli maybe can't deliver that rousing speech in the dressing room he doesn't have that experience to know when to be tenacious in the dressing room to get his team going and um, it it just seemed like Man United couldn't work out how to break Villarreal down and then when they realised that they were struggling to break them down they just they sort of gave up and their heads dropped and it just because there are some really great players in that Man United team, don't get me wrong, but it's just the, the mentality that is instilled by your coach into your team. I feel like it might be lacking with Oligona Solskjaer.
0: I agree with that because there's been a bit of talk post match in terms of some of the pundits saying that, and even Solskjaer said in his own words, we need two or three players to strengthen the starting 11, almost using that as an excuse for why they didn't beat Villarreal. However, Jose, it's clear that United need new signings to compete with City. But as I just said then, losing to Villarreal, a team with a budget five times less than United, is that really a viable excuse for Solskjaer?
1: Well, absolutely not. Um, I just think Ole is just really just trying to find any pretext just to mask the fact that he doesn't know how to strategically resolve the situation at Manchester United. And I think that's really where it is. I, don't, I think he's clueless, I think you could argue. And that was on full display, obviously, last night. And, you know, we could say whatever we want. But for me, I think we really have to start scrutinising the fact that has there really been that much development taking effect for the majority of that starting team for Manchester United? I'm not too sure there is, if you were to exclude Bruno Fernandes and Rashford from the equation. And so for me, now entering the new season... I really do believe the board really have to start reevaluating the position on Solskjaer if they want to obviously compete with Man City and do things progressively in Europe. So that's really what it comes down to.
0: You say that he's clueless though, Yo's, And obviously I'll put this to you, Jack. But this is a manager who just 18 months ago was close to getting the sack and he just managed to get Champions League football at the end of last season. There's been improvements in the Premier League this season, finishing second to just Manchester City. So is that a little bit in fear, Johan saying that Solskjaer's clueless?
2: I would say he, he has a decent backroom staff and he has a little bit of manager experience and he was a football player. So he has, he has a little bit of tactical awareness. Whether it's at a world-class level to manage Man United, I don't know. And I'm going to stem it back to the mentality. He's only managed... What before this Cardiff and Mulder in Norway? Yeah. Um, where where in in those two in, in those two clubs? No disrespect to Cardiff. Um, do you develop that tenacious mentality of winning big trophies continually? And you always see on the news like he's like um, it'll be like breaking news. Sir Alex Ferguson goes back to the dressing gr- dressing room to talk to the players. It's like why can't you do yeah. that? Where where is your rousing team talk to get your team going because it seems to be lacking in these massive moments.
0: Incredibly for me was that into extra time, Solskjaer still didn't make a sub and he left it until the 99th minute. And with such a condensed schedule because of COVID and all these irregularities this season, anybody who watched that game in extra time could see that Man United were just completely fatigued and Villarreal, they made their subs earlier, didn't they? And in the end into the second half of extra time. They'd already made their five subs. United still had just made one. So Villarreal, they looked really dangerous, didn't they? They were on top of Man United.
1: Well, I think it really goes back to what I've really kind of thought all this season and perhaps even before that when he was actually introduced. The fact that I don't really think he's capable in philosophically adapting to a situation. Obviously, when things don't go as forth. And for me, that is one of the reasons, or at least contributing reasons, for why I don't really see him as a viable long-term solution for Manchester United. I don't believe he's really capable in utilising the abilities of their best players to make them go further and claim some of those domestic titles. So what we saw on display yesterday wasn't all that shocking to me. It was underwhelming, but something that was to be expected. And I think, to some extent, even though I'm not a Manchester United fan, I'm glad the fact they did lose because I think it really just accentuates the flaws with Solskjaer and Manchester United to just how average he really is intellectually in terms of how he actually approaches different teams. So perhaps it's a blessing in disguise, to be honest with you.
2: Well, I think it's really interesting because they did have good players on the bench. Donny van de Vick dropped a man of the match performance versus Wolves just a couple of days before and didn't get a sniff in. So... Is is the question of, we need to bring in two or three really good players, even up to Oli? Like, there, there is... It was quite clear that Ed Woodward was in charge of the transfers and the signings. How much say does Oli get in these transfers? Because it's quite clear that he wants absolutely nothing to do with Donny van der Beek, who was lighting the world on fire at Ajax. So... Let's say Oli does stay and he's like, they get two or three players in. It, it kind of reminds me of the Mourinho at Chelsea where they're, they're just given players and Mourinho be like, Well, I'm not going to play them because they don't suit me and I don't want them. So even if they do bring in a new manager and bring in new players, are they going to be players that the new manager wants? It's just, it seems like Manu from the top, top down needs big reshuffling to get to back, back to where they were because it's just going to be very difficult without someone as special as Sir Alex Ferguson as your manager. So just to be clear, guys, one word answer.
0: Would you sack Solskjaer this summer? Absolutely. So you'd sack him, Yoes, What do you think, Jack?
2: Uh, I'm going to say no, because I'm a Liverpool fan. No. <laughs> All right. Um,
1: well, that's fair. I... No, yeah, OK. I can
2: understand that. <laughs> no, as, as a neutral, I would say... Oh, I know it's not a one word. I don't think finishing second this year is a very big accomplishment, to be honest, in the league. Hmm. You've had, in, in regards to the top six, you've had Liverpool's horrendous injury run. You've had chop and change of managers. But I, do, I don't think it's that, that impressive. So I'm going to say, along with losing this, I'm going to say, yeah, sacked. Yeah, I'm really
0: torn on this because I agree with what you're saying in terms of his tactical naivety. To lose against Villarreal yesterday is just shocking, isn't it? To a team with a budget five times less. But there has been enough improvement for me that Solskjaer deserves another year. Because there has been improvement season on season, but then next season then... Again, but how if you're not have you reached winning... that
1: conclusion, though? We keep speaking about the fact that they arguably have progressed. And of course, if you just take a look at the table for what it is, black and white, maybe you'd have some form of a valid point. But as I think Jack mentioned just briefly then, the fact that they finished second, they've only elevated the status in the league simply because of the lack of competition... I don't really think it's been as a result of Solskjaer contributing to that club, making them that much better. I just think they've been fortunate enough to have the likes of Liverpool somewhat regressing from the previous year and Chelsea only discovering form since January. So I think we really just have to be realistic and just say the fact that I you know, I do really believe Solskjaer has kind of maximised what he can do with that club. So for me, based on what I'm telling you, why would they want to keep a manager who can only take them as far as Europa League final? and lose to a team that has never won any trophy of any domestic or European significance in its history. So it's not just about experience, to be honest with you. I think it's just so much more beyond than that from what some of these United legends are saying.
0: I just, I agree with what you're saying. And if I had a choice now of having Solskjaer or another manager, you know, for example, I said years ago, didn't I, Yoz, Man United, the manager they need to get is Nagelsmann. Obviously, he's at Bayern Mm. now. I look at the options available this summer. And is Solskjaer really worthy of the sack? For me, not yet. I think one more season, there's still a squad there that needs to be improved. I think Solskjaer can be a part of that. And then next season, reevaluate, look at the options. But we're going to have to move on now, guys. I'm going to give a quick mention now to Sergio Aguero. And on his final appearance for Manchester City at the Etihad... ...despite coming on as a sub in the 65th minute... Agüero scored two goals in City's 5-0 thrashing against Everton. And this means he has now scored 184 goals for one club... ...which is a record in the Premier League. And from one incredible goalscorer to another... ...and in the final minute of Bayern's 5-2 win against Augsburg... Lewandowski scored his 41st goal in the Bundesliga this season... beating Gerd Müller's 40-goal record... which had lasted for 49 years... and was said to be unbeatable. And an incredible statistic, guys... Lewandowski beat Gerd Müller's record... despite playing five less matches... than Müller did in the 71-72 season he did it in... and in doing so scored an average of 1.4 goals a game. And this season he scored 53 goals... In 36 games for club and country. Absolutely incredible statistics. And these incredible achievements from both Aguero and Lewandowski got us thinking. Who would be in our top five strikers since Aguero's move to Manchester City in 2011? So just to be clear, these are out and out strikers. Therefore, the likes of Messi and Ronaldo aren't included. Okay, if we start with your list from five to three.
1: Okay, so fifth, I've selected Benzema. Um, I think this season, at least for me personally, I've really discovered just how much value he is to that Real Madrid side. And obviously, the one aspect I've always disputed when speaking about Benzema is his uh, goal scoring ability, and that hasn't been of any dispute this season whatsoever. Been scoring week in, week out, and if it wasn't for Benzema being present at Madrid, they wouldn't even be contenders at all this season to win the league. So I've gone Benzema 5th for that durability and just pure quality that we've witnessed it this season. Fourth, I've gone for Lewandowski. His goal-scoring record at Bayern is unparalleled to anyone in the Bundesliga. It's just emblematic of how amazing he's been. He's been absolutely superb. And this season, I think you know he really is starting to get the credit that I think he's very much deserved. And it's only really been now that people have really started to put him in that subject of conversation amongst the best strikers in the world. Like definitively, and again, it's just very much deserved. And three, I've gone for Harry Kane because he's much more than a goal scorer. As we saw from the start of the season till Christmas, he's very much developed upon his hold at play. He's not just a goal scorer. He's great intellectually. He utilises the best out of Son, and he's a player that has exceeded my expectations of him. He scored more than twenty goals, I think, for the last four or five seasons. And you know, without Harry Kane, Tottenham would have faded out, I think, perhaps two years ago if we'd have been really blunt. So that is my five to three.
0: Lewandowski down in fourth years. I don't know how he's quite that far down on your list.
1: The reason why I had him as low as I did, and I understand why people would you know, consider that to be you know, unjustifiable, but the reason why I had him there was because I just think his all-round game, it's not the fact that it diminishes status as a world-class striker in any way, it's just the fact that when you have the likes of Kane, this season particularly, who really has evolved into somewhat of the ultimate striker. His ability to manoeuvre past players, to drop deep, pick those passes. This is a level that I didn't, for- I couldn't have foreseen him to play at. But I just think it's warranted, to be honest, having him that low. Because I just think, apart from his goal-scoring ability, I'm not too sure if his other aspects to his games really redeems him. So,
0: I've gone for Benzema in fifth. I've agreed with Joes on that. In fourth, I've got Sergio Aguero. And I just said the statistic then, didn't I? 184 goals for Manchester City since his move in 2011. And the reason for me he's down in fourth and not a little bit higher is because, yes, he was brilliant in those few early years under Pep. But for me, before that period... I just don't think he did it enough in real big matches under the likes of Mancini, under the likes of Pellegrini in those key Champions League matches. I just didn't really see it enough. And don't get me wrong, when Pep came in, he added to Aguero's game hugely, didn't he? He worked harder defensively, his movement was better. um, He picked up the ball deeper. So that's just why he's a little bit lower than the guys I've got just ahead of him. And in third, I've got Robert Lewandowski. And I think it was a while ago now, wasn't it, that we did our best goal scorers and I had Lewandowski in second, just behind Ronaldo. And again, if we're talking about goal scorers, he would be at the top of this list in terms of out-and-out strikers, in terms of their goal scoring ability. But when we're talking about all the attributes combined that the other players above Lewandowski offer, in terms of their ability to... Uh, drop in off the front, play those passes through, be a part of the build-up. That's just why Lewandowski just didn't quite get into my top two. So, Jack, who did you have in your list from five to three?
2: So, um, most of most of what um, you guys have said that I'm going to pretty much echo. In number five, I've got um, Benzema. As, as we say, he's been consistently brilliant for the last decade, scoring many goals every single season and on top of that winning a serious amount of trophies and, be, and not, not not just being carried along by his team he, he's involved he's, he's the reason along with along with Ronaldo etc that they've won those won, won three Champions Leagues and not even before I don't even know how many have won in the last 10 years it's ridiculous um, along with all the other tro- trophies and accolades to come with it. In fourth I'm going to go with um, Harry Kane the reason he's only yeah. fourth um, on my list is that he's um, Even though he is a fantastic player and has the potential to be even better than he is now, can he continue to do it at Spurs? I don't think so. To be a top, top player, you've got to show the bottle to do it in the big games. Has he been in many big games? No, because of the team that he plays for. So that's why he's fourth on my list. And then in third, I'm going to go with um, Sergio Aguero. He may have not been the complete package, but he scored them the goal that changed their their future forever yeah and along on top of that he's won how many trophies for Manchester City and how many how many finals has he scored in domestically and so on and so forth so I think that's why he's just above Kane for me
0: that's quite a fair point in terms of the trophies however all I'd say to that is if Kane was playing for Manchester City would they have won any less trophies I would argue probably not so that's why I've gone for Kane just above Aguero. So we'll get to our top 2s now. Yos, who's in your top 2 best out and out strikers?
1: Okay, so second I actually went for Sergio Aguero. And to be that's honest, high second, I... Yose. He is my second indeed. I think I dis- I actually disagree with your assessment on him. I One thing I will concede however, obviously the last few years and the Pep he really has gone to a new level beyond, which I think, he, his his own expectations. But he still was brilliant. He still was class. He still had unparalleled ability for a long period of time in terms of Premier League strikers. And, you know, the numbers don't lie. I think, well, how many Premier League goals has he got now? We're nearing, I think it's about 170 near to 180 Premier League goals. He has 184 been consistently... Goals, isn't it? 184. He's been consistently a world-class striker. And to be honest, I was contesting him and Kane for second position, but... As for the reasons already explained now, the number of trophies he's got, the number of titles. And to be honest, if it wasn't for his perhaps poor record in those European competitions, I think you could even contest him with Suarez potentially. But I've gone him second. And first, I've gone for Luis Suarez because for me, he was the ultimate striker. He was irrepressible at his best, that one season at Liverpool, 2013-14. I mean, he was just, you couldn't hinder him. He was a player of the utmost ability, something I don't think the Premier League's seen in a Premier League season. That degree of class, the, the ability to finish from all angles, there was no limitation to his game whatsoever. And I think he had that ability to adapt and emulate that um, league season performance at Barcelona to an extent. So for me, I think it is just definitive Suarez just for just having that unique ability to, to change a game completely on his own as we witnessed with Liverpool, it's just such a unique talent and something I don't think the Premier League's seen.
0: Yeah, you know, when I think of Luis Suarez, of course you can look back on on that time at Barcelona when he was a part of the front three there, the MSN, that won the Champions League in 2015. But for me, when Luis Suarez was at his real best, it was during that season, that title push under Brendan Rodgers, with a whole team was just built around this pure genius of a footballer, Luis Suarez. So that's why I've got him top of my list. And in second, I have got Harry Kane. And I know that, again, you guys have gotten lower. And Yoz, I agree with the trophies. But for me, Harry Kane, if he's playing for Manchester City now, or if he was playing for them a few years, they're a better team than they are under Aguero.
1: Would you would you say that this season alone, though, has manipulated your answer? If it wasn't for this season in which he's made those adaptations to his game, dropping deep, seeking those balls through to Son,
0: You say that, though, Josie. Harry Kane has scored 165 goals. He's only 95 behind the record. Sergio Aguero's only scored 19 goals more than Kane. Kane's yeah. playing in a worse team. And obviously, Aguero was on the scene three or four years before Kane.
1: Take a look at that Man City team they've had through the years. They've had Jacko, They've had Balotelli. Players who are on the cusp of scoring 20 goals a season anyway. So it's kind of like saying, arguing the fact that why Suarez wasn't scoring as many goals as Barcelona when they had Messi and Neymar. You know, you have to be a bit realistic. The fact they had other players who could overly compensate for those goals. So yes, I agree with you. If you're talking specifically about goal scoring, you could contest that. But generally speaking, the talent, just the pure ability of Aguero, I just think is that much beyond Kane. I think... This season, he has gone beyond to a new level, as mentioned earlier. But over the course, since 2011, as mentioned, for me, it is indisputable. I do generally think he's a better striker.
0: So, Jack, who did you have in your top two best out-and-out strikers?
2: So, I've gone for number two, um, Robert Lewandowski. I really... He is absolutely incredible. Every time I watch him, he does something that amazes me. I think he's kind of underrated as well. The, The way he can bring the ball and use his natural skill set, as well as um, his link-up play, I think is actually pretty underrated and um, is something that's slept on by um, quite a lot of the footballing world. And in number one there, I've obviously gone for Luis Suarez. I think he's potentially the best striker, out-and-out striker to ever live. He is absolutely incredible. He's done it in three different leagues, well, two different leagues, sorry, um, for two different teams in a Liga. He is just I don't have enough superlatives to um, say about him. Obviously, that season um, when he was at Liverpool, that 2013-14 title push, he was he was the reason that we were competing for that league. Um, the, the team around him was nowhere near um, league-winning quality, and his his as um, mentioned earlier, his way he could finish from literally anywhere on the football field. Um, he, could, he could create space, he could bring the ball down if it came over his shoulder, he could shoot from 40 yards, he could take it around four players. It was absolutely ridiculous. I think he probably scored every type of goal you could ever score in a single season. It was absolutely crazy. He was scoring headers from the 18-yard box. Like What, what, what more can you want from a striker? He's absolutely incredible player. Do
1: you mind if I just say one thing? Because you placed Lewandowski ahead of Kane, but in terms of an all-round striker, do you really think Lewandowski, bringing all aspects to his game, do you really think he is a superior striker to Kane? Bringing everything um, into perspective.
0: Is it not the same argument as Aguero, though, Yose?
1: No, but I think he's more than a goal scorer, Dill.
0: Only in the past few years. As I said, Pep joined in 2016. Aguero didn't really play too much in that first season. There was talk about mm. him leaving at the end of that season.
1: You are right, obviously, there was that... One year to which, obviously, they were considering him to let go. I think it was actually... Was it the first season, Guardial or the second yeah. season? You think he was there? But be, be, and understandably so. you know He is of age now where he's not as vibrant. He is not as mobile to facilitate that attacking development. But he proved him wrong. He became such an integral part of that team. And you keep saying the fact that this is such a recent thing. You know The fact that he's managed to elevate his standard as a out-and-out striker. But you take a look at Kane. I would say if you exclude this season... I think most people, you know, in football would say definitively Aguero's a better striker. It's only really been the last few months in which he's had that ability to drop and obviously utilize the strengths of Son as well as himself.
0: He scored more goals than Aguero in a shorter period. So he's a better goal scorer in that aspect, in terms of his Premier League statistics. And as you've just said, this season he's been dropping in off the front. If he goes to Manchester City next season, they're a much better team than with Aguero, even at his prime, surely.
1: I'm just saying the fact that it's kind of obvious for why that is the case, because if Kane doesn't score for Tottenham, they have absolutely nobody else. And you take a look at Man City, they had Dzeko, Balotelli over the years, he had Yaya Toure, they had other players, Sterling, who could provide that. So I'm agreeing with you, it does show how great he's been, Kane, over a, a period of time it doesn't diminish Aguirre in any way because, you know, it's not his fault that he's had the luxury of playing amongst world-class players over the years.
0: Yeah, I know what you're saying. There are small margins, aren't there, between these five players. At the end of oh, the yeah, day, absolutely. they're the best out-and-out strikers, aren't they? The top five of hmm. this past 10 years. So it's not a bad achievement whatsoever. So I'm just going to give a quick mention now to the Serie A Champions League race. And despite Pilo leaving Ronaldo on the bench for their final match of the season in their crunch clash against Cagliari, they came out on top in a 4-1 win with Murata scoring a brace, meaning Juventus had done all they could to secure Champions League. However, they still needed one of AC Milan or Napoli to slip up. The most likely to slip up, AC Milan, against Atlanta, who were second going into this weekend. However, they didn't. They won by two goals to nil, meaning Juventus's hopes lied with Hellas Verona to do them a favour against Napoli. This didn't look likely when Napoli's centre-half, Amir Ramani scored the opener in the 60th minute of the match. However, just eight and a half minutes later, Verona equalised, meaning Napoli had just over 20 minutes to secure Champions League football. And despite Andrea Patania's glancing header with the final touch of the match being centimetres from Napoli Joy, it was Juventus who scraped into the Champions League next season. And following that disappointment for Napoli, Gattuso, he has now left Napoli following the conclusion of his contract there. And although Juventus secured Champions League, Andrea Pilo is set to be sacked and their ex-manager Allegri will replace Pilo, despite only being sacked himself just under two years ago. To the managerial merry-go-round that is about to take place this summer. And in the last few days, it's been announced that Zinedine Zidane will step down from Real Madrid for the second time. And Antonio Conte will leave Serie A champions into Milan. Due to the financial situation at the club, meaning that Inter need to raise £70 million through selling players this summer. However, most incredibly perhaps, it's now been widely reported that Pochettino is in line to return to Spurs. So, although PSG missed out on winning League Earn, with Pochettino spending just six months at the club, were you surprised that this is an actual possibility for him to return to Spurs? Who only sacked him eighteen months ago?
2: A hundred percent. I'm. I, I still. I still struggle to believe that it's actually a thing. Yeah. Both. Both from Levy thinking it's a good idea to Pochettino actually wanting to go back. I just. It's. I think it's all a bit. It, it feel. It feels like it's. If from Daniel Levy's perspective, it feels a bit emotional. It feels like feel like feel like rubbish. Want him back, kind of. Want that. Want his. Um, want how we played back and that kind of thing whereas is is it going to be sustainable in the future where he how long was he at spurs was it like five years
0: yeah f- five and a half years i think so, yeah, something yeah. Like that,
2: and he did really well to get them to that position but what what is going to change if anything is going to get worse with the amount of money they're, they're able to spend they've just spent shed loads on a on that stadium to top off the fact that we've been through a global pandemic, so there's there's hardly any revenue coming into the club. So what is going to be different this time for Pochettino to be more successful than he was last time? So, Yos, would this work reappointing Pochettino despite
0: being sacked, as I said, just eighteen months ago? Or is this possibly a tactic from Daniel Levy in desperation? He's had so much criticism from the fans of Pochettino's reputation from his first spell. Do you think that's what's led to Levy reappointing Pochettino?
1: Well, if this is the attempt to rehabilitate his image, especially after the European Super League calamity that it was, I don't really think he's going to be doing himself too many favours. Uh, obviously, you take a look at why he was sacked in the first place. The form, the regressive form that was underway since that Champions League final in 2019. They were half the team they were originally. And so, for me, it's incredibly perplexing to understand why they don't want to introduce a manager who clearly lost the dressing room, who, for whatever reason, lost the respect of his players. And, obviously, since that Champions League final, you know, they underwent a pretty awful spell, to be honest with you. I think it really just shows just how Levy doesn't really know what to do, to be honest with you. I think he's not that confident, designating a manager like Conte, who's going to be very progressive for them, especially defensively, providing that defensive structure. And... Yeah, it's going to be very, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see what actually unfolds at Tottenham. But, you know, I'm still sceptical to whether he will for the reasons I've explained. He lost the dressing room. And for me, it just wouldn't be logical to reintroduce a manager who clearly lost that element of respect that is ever so needed for a manager. So I'm not too confident in him returning anytime soon.
2: Would you say it's that they lost the dressing room or just the cycle of what he was trying to do? inevitably just had to come to an end because what, literally what more can he do without the backing of money and progression? Because I think he's great. I think all the players really greatly respect him. I I just feel like it might have just been too much to be able to get out of what he was given.
1: I think perhaps you are making a fair point. The fact that with the team he had, with the limited funds, you know, getting to the Champions League final, such a monumental achievement in itself, And so, yeah, I think, you know, I have to provide way to that. There is, that was a contributing reason why I think he left in the first place. And, you know, I think there is probably arguing to say that the loss of the Champions League final probably was looming over them going into that following season. So perhaps it wasn't just losing the dressing room, losing that element of respect. But for me, but why would you want to introduce a manager to which you already know what you know, his absolute maximum is philosophic as a manager, because we already know what he could do with Kane. We already knew what he did with Son. So for me, knowing what the inevitability is, I don't know. I just don't see that as a really viable option, to be honest. But I could be wrong. All I'd say, though, guys,
0: I do actually agree with you in terms of reappointing a manager who only 18 months ago from being sacked. I think they need to in a more ideal world, be a greater amount of time, isn't there, between the sacking and then reappointing him. However, when you look at West Ham reappointing David Moyes, could that not repeat itself at Spurs? We don't know exactly what happened behind the scenes at West Ham in terms of the first time Moyes was there and the second time, but he's got them playing into a Europa League position next season, David Moyes. Pochettino, he's still a very good manager, isn't he? Even if he was sacked by Spurs, so why can't he have the same reaction a second time round that David Moyes had?
2: It's it's, it's a really interesting way to look at it. Um, I just almost feel that like there's there's levels there's levels to management, and David Moyes is at a different level to what Tottenham are trying to achieve. And when you when you're hustling and bustling to be in that top six, the difference between finishing four between six and four and finishing top is absolutely insane. You have to be the best team by far. Miles miles ahead and as as we've we've mentioned and touched on here is is there is there anything more that he can do and change to make them that good without Daniel Levy suddenly opening up his wallet. I don't know.
0: So before we came on air guys, I asked you who would you choose as the next Spurs manager out of Pochettino, Zidane and Conte. All three of us guys we all agreed with Antonio Conte. The job he's done there at Inter Milan the fact is able to bring this winning mentality at a club. We talked about Solskjaer earlier not being able to bring that winning mentality to Manchester United but Conte's proven he's done it at Juventus he's done it at Chelsea he's done it at Inter Milan But is Conte really going to move to Spurs? They haven't got a great bank balance, haven't they? They're spending so much money out on the stadium. Can you see Conte really moving to Spurs, Joes?
1: Well, you say the fact that You know, you kind of say that condescendingly about a team like Tottenham, the fact that why would he want to go to a team of that status. But I think the likes of Conte could really see this as an area of opportunity, the fact that they are in a status of disarray right now with Harry Kane on the verge of leaving. He may see this as an opportunity to move a pretty big club into a Champions League contender perhaps, I'm not too sure. But if you want to ask me who I, why I believe Conte is the best option, you know, I think he warrants the job. Pure and simple, he is established since obviously with the success he's had at Inter Milan. I think his sacking at Chelsea was unjust, and one thing we have witnessed now, especially at Inter Milan, is his ability to really sign the correct players that befits his system. Something that has been disputed in the past, and more importantly, perhaps than that, he would provide that defensive structure that has been missing, obviously at Tottenham this season. And generally, I think, for you know, for the reasons I've already said, he will, prov- you know. He's going to provide that progressive philosophy offensively. There is a plan in place, something I don't think we've witnessed too much at Tottenham. So for me, in terms of someone who is actually a realistic contender, he is probably your best option. I'm just not
0: too sure if Conte is going to move to Spurs. As I just said then, the amount of money Spurs are going to have to pay year upon year on that stadium. You know, the reason he Hmm. left into Milan was because they had to sell players. Surely Tottenham are going to have to sell players. So that's why I'm not quite sure if Conte will take that step down to Spurs. But we're going to move on now, guys, to the Premier League top four. And it was a huge disappointment for Leicester, who missed out on Champions League on the final day of last season and did so again this season, losing 4-2. Spurs on Sunday in the final match of the Premier League season. They were in the top four this season for 242 days, longer than anyone. But again, at the real crunch time in the season, they lost six of their last 13 matches. So Jack, where
2: did it all go wrong for Leicester? I think of two things. I think of Brendan Rodgers and I think of the fact that they're not a top six team, so their, their squad isn't as big as the other teams in the top six. So does that mean when we get towards the end of the season, the fatigue is just too much for them to just carry on hitting those levels to get into the top four? And then this one might be a bit of a, a, bit of a hot take, but Brendan Rodgers is, is a bit of a serial bottler when it comes to big moments for football clubs. Don't get me wrong, he's done really good things for Leicester. But for two years in a row to miss out on the top four, which probably is the aim, winning the FA Cup this year probably eclipses the fact that they haven't got in the top four. That's fine. But to, to miss out again on the top four, is there, is there something missing in his managerial prowess to, to get them into that position? I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting one.
0: I think if Brendan Rodgers was managing one of the other big teams. So if it was Liverpool or Chelsea, I think you'd have a point in terms of saying he's a bottler. Obviously at Liverpool, when they were pushing for that title, nobody expected them to be up there at the start of the season, did they? So I think that's a little bit harsh, saying that Brendan Rodgers, he's a bottler. Mm. I think that's a bit harsh, as, as you just said there, getting across the line in the FA Cup final. It's more than some other guys have done. And as I said, at Leicester, he's got a budget far significantly less than many of those teams and just to be competing at the top for me deserves huge praise. But, yos, on the 15th of March, before their tough away match against Wolves, Liverpool were 13 points behind Leicester. Since then, in their last 10 matches, they won eight and they drew two, picking up more points than uh, than anyone. Did you ever imagine, yos that at that point, Liverpool would finish third in the Premier League?
1: To be honest, absolutely not. I think when you're speaking about Leicester's form, it just happens to be a big coincidence for me. Nothing more than a big coincidence, the fact that the likes of Liverpool and Chelsea discovered abrupt form with only 10 games remaining, and all of a sudden they just seem to not be at it. I don't really understand what else to say other than that. I don't really think there's a logical explanation for why Leicester have played so badly, which contributed, you know, for a reason for why Liverpool ultimately got top four. You know, it's a pretty fascinating story with Liverpool because, honestly, for three quarters of this season, you know, the relevance was really at stake, to be honest with you, in terms of a team that was really, you know, season in, season out, competing for that league title. So it really is fascinating. And for me, I just think, you know, you take a look at those last few fixtures to which they were played. And, you know, they were playing teams to which were the more inferior teams in the Premier League. I think they just were fortunate enough to have... An, to play those teams, which weren't great, to be frank with, you know. And, you know, I think they just kind of capitalised really upon that.
0: You can only beat what's in front of you. And also, every team in a league season has to play everybody, don't they? So I think that's a little bit harsh saying Liverpool had a good running towards the end.
1: No, but I'm just saying the fact that... I just think they've been very fortunate discovering this form in which the last remaining fixtures have been against predominantly average teams in comparison to Chelsea and Leicester, whose fixtures going into the last few games, were significantly more difficult. I just think it's just one of those things. And to be honest, Liverpool finishing third is not emblematic of how bad this season has been. It's not an accurate reflection. So they really shouldn't get ahead of themselves, in my opinion.
0: So Jack, would you see this season at Liverpool as a success?
2: No, not a success, but the best possible outcome is is what I'd say. We've we've had, uh, like, to finish third, quite frankly, is remarkable. And in 10 years, we'll look back and go, oh, Liverpool finished third, not Liverpool finished third, but because of this, because of that, etc., etc. At the end of the day, Liverpool finished third in the Premier League, and that's what is going to be carried on into the future. In regards to the season as a whole, the amount of games that all of our players have missed as a total is 242. Um, our two main centre-back pairings have only played eight games each together, Matip and... Um, Van Dijk and Van Dijk and Gomez. So to finish third really is remarkable. Um, Our home form has been shocking, but equally our away form against the top six in particular has been absolutely fantastic. It really is the best, not a success, but I think the best possible outcome, especially if Chelsea can beat City as well next week.
0: (laughs) I think that's a really good way of putting it, to be fair.
2: Not quite a
0: success, but the best outcome they could have had. So We're going to move on now, guys, just before we finish to the end of the show quiz. Here we go. The quiz today, guys, name the 10 players with the best minutes per goal ratio in the Premier League. And you've got 30 seconds to list those players. Off you go. So five, four, three, two, one, and pens down, guys.
2: Don't out the pressure there,
0: I've definitely That's done terrible. Kios, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll come to you first. Who are the ten names you've got? Aguero. Yeah, so he's first on this list with a goal every one hundred and seven point four minutes. Incredible.
1: Yeah, my approach to this, I was really trying to think of players who have not been there for a long period of time, who obviously had one or two brilliant seasons and managed to obviously have a pretty good goal, goal-to-game goals ratio. I've gone for Luis Suarez.
0: Luis Suarez is on this list in sixth with a goal every 138.8 minutes.
1: He's only sixth. I thought he'd be a lot higher. Bear in mind he was only there for like, what, three, four years and was scoring like 20 goals. All right. Thierry Henry.
0: Yes, so he's third on this list, a goal every 121.8 minutes.
1: Vanisteroy.
0: Vanisteroy is fourth, a goal every 128.8 minutes, just behind Thierry Henry. Harry Kane. Harry Kane, he's second. Ooh. Um he's just in front of Henry. Who else have you got, Jose?
1: Wayne Rooney. I took a bit of a gamble with this one.
0: No, he's not on the he's not on the list.
1: James. Oh, all right. Damn. I had just to finish off anyway. I had Lukaku and Shearer as my last two.
0: So Lukaku isn't on the list. However, Alan Shearer is tenth. He's just scraped it in Ooh, with right. a goal every hundred forty-six point nine minutes.
2: Okay, so Jack, you've got seven to beat. So I got Aguero, Kane, Suarez, and Omri, and I did have Rooney as well, but obviously that was a bit of a long shot. So the the I've only got a couple more, and I think one of them's a definite one, and the other ones are uh, completely out of panic, and I have no idea why I've put yeah. it. So I've gone with Mo um, Salah. Yes, he is on the list. Oh, of course, he's fifth, just
0: in front of Luis Suarez with a goal every 130.73 minutes.
2: He's taking the dub here. I don't think I've, 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 this one's a panic. I put Sadio Mane. He's definitely not on there. I don't know why. Nah, there.
0: there's no Sadio Mane on this list. So I got five. Yeah, five is not a bad effort. being in mind, we only had 30 seconds. Any other quick ideas, guys? Before
1: I give you the list. Gosh, I'm trying to think. Um... Ronaldo? No. Someone like I don't. I was I was gonna say someone like Robbie Fowler, but he's been in the Premier League for quite a while. I know he played for, like, Man City after, I think, and didn't really replicate Mm -hmm. the same form, Mm -hmm. so I doubt he'd be in it.
0: Okay, Uh, so I'll go through the list now, guys. So, in first, Sergio Aguero. Second, Harry Kane. Third, Thierry Henry. Fourth, Rude Van Nistelrooy. Fifth, Mo Salah. Sixth, Luis Suarez. We've got all those guys so far. In seventh, Robin Van Persie with a goal every 139.7 knew it. minutes. Okay, in eighth, another player you haven't got, Edin Zeko with a goal every 141.6 minutes. You've mentioned him a few times on the, uh, on the podcast today, haven't you? <laughs> I was literally
1: thinking about him. I know, I just... Uh, whatever.
0: And then the final one you haven't got, in ninth place, Diego Costa with a goal every 145.19 oh. <laughs> minutes. And as I said, Alan Sheeva there in 10th place.
1: Do you know what's even more frustrating? I literally thought of every single one of those players I didn't put in. Every single <laughs> yeah, one. I, I swear you say. not. That's I promise. Say. Yeah, I, I say, promise you you I, I said, Jekyll. <laughs> uh.
0: <laughs> but we're going to move on now, guys, to the final match of the league-earned title race. And in Lille's final match of the season, they knew a win would guarantee they were league-earned champions. And despite PSG's 2-0 win against Brest, thanks to goals from Jonathan David and Burak Yilmaz from the penalty spot, Lille beat Angers by two goals to one, a win that was never really in doubt, despite Angers scoring a late consolation goal in the dying seconds of this match. And even more impressive, guys, for a side who have sold players in recent seasons, Lille, with Pepe moving to Arsenal for seventy-two million pounds in two thousand and nineteen, and his replacement Ozymen moving to Napoli last summer for seventy million pounds, it's an incredible achievement, isn't it? With Mike Mignon superb in goals, the ever-reliable Jose Font—I never thought I'd say that name again winning a league in title and Sven Botman at centre-half they've been so reliable at the back there Sumare who's just about to move to Leicester it seems alongside Andre their captain dictating games in midfield and of course Jonathan David and Burak Yilmaz at the top and Burak Yilmaz guys he's never played outside of Turkey in Europe until his move as a free agent to Lille at the age of 35 and he's been leagued in the line scoring key goals including that one against Angers on the weekend. So Yos, how impressive an achievement is this from Lille to just pip a team of PSG possessing the likes of Mbappe and Neymar to the league earned title?
1: Well, absolutely. There's no way in mitigating it other than just saying it's a phenomenal achievement. They were competing directly with PSG for you know for the title over the course of this season. And they managed to beat them with their world-class players. So there's no way in diminishing this. Nobody could have foreseen this, especially as you're mentioning. The real catalyst was Yomaz. I think, obviously, when he was introduced into that squad come January, scoring between, was it, 15 and 20 goals? He really has, I think, made the difference for them. And it's just... Pr- Kind of an amazing story the fact that you go back 10 years ago going from one of those craved strikers in europe to then in quick succession fading out in the way he did and i'm not even sure from then i didn't even know who he played for to be honest with you so you know it is a great story of redemption for Yomaz, and there's he's just been absolutely phenomenal there's no way there's no other way in saying it and do i really think they're gonna manage to replicate this season i mean who knows i doubt it because i think psg will most probably strengthen this squad but this season shows, you know, the unpredictability of football. You can't really definitively say anything. So no way in going about it. It's been brilliant for Lille and let's just hope they manage to do something similar next season.
0: Yeah, it's unlikely that Lille will manage to repeat this next season due to their manager, Christophe Gaultier. He's about to leave Lille, despite taking them to the league earn title. And... I totally agree with you there, Yoz. Yilmaz, what an achievement that is. To be in the top three players in Ligue 1 this season alongside Neymar and Mbappe in terms of the top three players' awards in France. That is an incredible achievement for a 35-year-old who'd never played outside of Turkey in Europe. What an achievement. And in the final match of the La Liga title race... In Atletico's final match of the season, they knew a win against Real Valladolid would guarantee they were champions, and despite Oscar Plano's early strike for Valladolid, Atletico came out in fine form in the second half with Angel Correa's equalizer in the 57th minute and then Luis Suarez, he scored the winning goal in the 67th minute which secured Atletico the La Liga title, their first in 7 years despite Real Madrid's two late strikes in their 2-1 win against Villarreal. More incredibly, perhaps, with the exclusion of Sergio Ramos, no Real Madrid player was included in Luis Enrique's Spanish squad, the first time in their history for a major tournament. A Real Madrid player who was selected, though, is Karim Benzema, who is back in the France national team for the first time since 2015. And the thought of a French attack Spearheaded by Benzema, Mbappe and Griezmann will surely be sending shivers down the spine of any defender at this summer's Euros. Two of the matches to look out for over the next week. And obviously we've come to the end of the season now, haven't we? So we've got the Championship playoff final, Brentford against Swansea, a huge match there to get into the Premier League. And of course, on Saturday evening, the Champions League final between Chelsea and Manchester City. Just very quickly, name the team who's winning this
2: Champions League final. Start with Jack. Uh, I'll go with my head instead of my heart. Uh, Manchester City. Okay. Yoz, are you going to go with your head over your heart?
0: Have you ever no. done that in your life, Yoz?
1: <laughs> Vice versa. <laughs> uh, I'm going to... Your... <laughs> no, it's not. All right. Um, I'm going gonna... to... The thing is for me, it's not a matter of the better team winning. I so I'm going to go Chelsea simply because I think the way they're going to approach the game won't be in City's best interests. So I really think we have a good chance of winning because of that. The fact we minimize that space in the half space in behind the midfield. So I'm going to go with Chelsea. You know, I say that, you know, with a bit of a prayer to be honest, but you know, I'm going to go with Chelsea still.
0: I'm really torn on this one, I'm not going to lie, but I just think because of Chelsea's They just miss so many chances, don't they? I just can see Timo Werner again, potentially the likes of Havertz, Pulisic, just missing loads of chances. And even though Tuchel might win the tactical battle, I just think Manchester City will win that game at the end of it. But whoever scores the first goal in that game is going to be really key. And on next week's episode, as well as reflecting on the Champions League final, we'll begin looking ahead to the Euros with some very interesting final squads about to be announced, with Southgate squad on Tuesday about to be announced, among others. And that's all we've got time for this week on the Football Overview. Thanks to Joe's, thanks to Jack, and we'll see you again next Friday evening.